Hey guys, I just wanted to jump on and share some news before we jumped into the podcast. Super excited to announce we've launched the Mindful Hunter brandware line. So drop some merch. We got two different hats, a t-shirt, and two stickers. Worked my ass off on these for the last six months. Went through dozens of samples. Really fine-tuned the design. It's pretty simple, tasteful, minimalist. I really hate tacky hunting brand wear, and I wanted to build stuff and sell stuff that I myself would wear. So if you go to mindfulhunter.com forward slash shop, you'll see all the materials there. Also, the way I've structured the shop is the more stuff you buy, the cheaper shipping gets. I don't make a dime off shipping, but I figured out that they pretty much charge for package size, not weight. So the more I can fit into the package, the cheaper the shipping is per item. So that'll be automatically discounted at checkout. Secondly, if you guys could take a moment and like, share, comment, and subscribe on your platform of choice, it would really help out the podcast. I'm super excited about how fast we've been growing, and I just want to keep up that momentum. And the way the algorithms for these things work is that the more community engagement there is, the further up the rankings we go. Another piece of really great news is that last week we topped out at number 11 on the Canadian Wilderness focused podcasts. Uh, So that's pretty cool, man, out of a few hundred podcasts in Canada to be number 11 after only being up and running for six months is, is really cool. And I have you guys to thank because if you weren't listening and sharing and commenting, none of this would have been possible. So again, if you want some cool merch, mindfulhunter.com slash shop and leave a comment, share, subscribe, whatever. Deeply appreciated. All right, let's dive into the podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host as always, Jay Nickel. Pretty excited about this week's episode. I get to have a good friend and hunting buddy of mine, Dylan, on the podcast. Uh, Dylan is an accomplished traditional archer, family man, man of faith. Um, and we've developed a friendship over the past couple of years that kind of has its roots in archery. And we've been lucky enough to spend some time together. This is a particularly enjoyable podcast for me because I don't want to say that interviewing people you don't know is stressful, but it kind of is because there's this expectation that you're prepared and you have all these notes. And that's how I like to prepare for for conversation. So I was particularly looking forward to this one because it's more like just chatting with a buddy. So Dylan, thank you very much for taking the time, my friend. Oh, props, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Glad to be yeah. here. My pleasure. So I thought an interesting way to open up the conversation would be to share the story about how we were met or maybe more appropriately how we were introduced. So I was, let me think, would it be, it'll be two two years, two Two years years ago ago. this winter, right? Or is it two and a half years ago now? No, because elk would have been, yeah. Because we met the winter, we didn't meet the winter before elk. We met the winter before the winter before elk. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because we met, yeah, that's right. Okay. So we will have actually known each other for two and a half years at this point. So I, in an interest to improve my archery, I bought Joel Turner's, I think it was called might've still been called iron mind or it might've been called controlled process shooting. Anyways, Joel Turner, Joel Turner, kind of fantastic guy. As far as the psychology of 
shooting and target pack, uh, target panic and controlled process shooting. So I bought his online course and it was like a couple hundred bucks. I found it very useful, lots of good tidbits. Um, but I was kind of stuck. So I shot him an email and asked if he ever did any seminars. And he said, just come down because he's, what's he close to? Is it Everett well, or Evergreen? Well, Eatonville is okay. where he's based out of. And the, the closest city that people would know would be Seattle. So he's just okay. about an hour south of Seattle. Right. So a couple hour drive for us. He's like, yeah, man, just come down anytime you want. And I'm thinking like, it's going to be like some paid coaching or something. I'm super excited. And I was leaving for a hunt in Arizona. I just switched to a hinge. I was going to be hunting with the hinge. Anyways, went down to his place. He spent like probably three or four hours with me. And I remember as I was about to leave, I was like, so what do I owe you? And he's like, nothing. You bought the course, access to me for life. Don't worry about it. And I was just like, holy shit. And then we started, we were, we, we'd been talking about hunting all day, but we kind of continued that conversation. And I mentioned something about, I, I don't do all my solo hunting because I'm badass. I do it because I don't have any friends. <laughs> and I, I don't really, I don't really have anybody to shoot with, or I don't really know anybody. And then he's like, Oh, one of my good friends, Dylan, is in Vancouver. I should link you two guys up. And then I think he sent you a message on Instagram after yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and then either I sent you one or you sent me one. Or any, Anyways, we started DMing back and forth on Instagram, found out we were kind of like like-minded in a, in a couple ways, did a couple coffees. I think we went shooting a couple times. Yeah, I actually met you at the Burnaby range, we were just shooting beside each other. Didn't even know we had been DMing. And then all of a sudden right. I look over and I'm like, are you Jay? And you're like, Dylan. And so that's yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. like that first in-person meeting was at the range by accident. We both happened to be there that day, but that's hilarious. Yeah. So anyways, long story short, that's how we, we know each other. So we owe social media some credit and Joel Turner, um, yeah. who's a good guy and a good friend and does a lot of good stuff. And I should have him on here. The only reason I don't is he's been on so many. I kind of feel like until I have a unique voice to add to the conversation, I don't want to just regurgitate the old stuff. Like there's, if you want to dive deeper into his methodology, there's no shortage of content to digest. Yeah. Joel is incredible. Um, and you know, I'd only known Joel for a couple of years prior to that. Okay. And, uh, Interestingly enough, I was I was introduced to Joel through a podcast. I uh, ha I think it was the, I had watched a Gritty Bowman podcast where this guy was talking about target panic and con control, and he was Iron Mind hunting at the time. Yep. And uh, then uh, later that year, I with my rifle had missed a doe at eighty yards right. and didn't want to come to terms with the fact that I had a flinch. And I remember this podcast, and so I went and Googled him, and then. Uh, listened to every podcast he had ever done. And then same kind of same experience as you. I said, uh, I need to take this guy's, I need to take this guy's course. And I, I drove 10 hours to attend an in-person seminar. He was doing at Calgary. And did he have the online course at that point or was he only he doing in-person stuff? No, he, he had the online course okay. going and I didn't buy the course. I was like, I need to meet this guy. Right. And uh, I, I went there first and just did a seminar. And in a very, you know, just kind of the same way that he said to you, he said, listen, you need to come down to my house. Right. Because I was having some problems that had nothing to do with target panic, right. um, which was with in traditional archery, a common problem that people will run into when they get control of their shot is the string will hit their face because there's no pre-ignition movements for them to move their head out of the way. 
And so it hits their nose. People tape up their nose. And I didn't want to lose any of my beard. So he's like, you need to start shooting. That beard game is strong, bro. I got to say, oh, like, that's <laughs> even more magnificent than it normally is. Dude, like, I that's two, next level. I took two inches off this wow. week because I was like, this is getting a little bit too wild and woolly. People yeah. are looking at me like I'm some weird Sasquatch, you know? So, yeah. uh, but anyway, thank you. I appreciate that. So I, I said, I, I need some help with, with my shooting. He said, you need to come down to the house. And I spent today with him. And then since then, like, you know, we, uh, prior to COVID, we were camping on his property. My whole family would come down and we've just become really, really close. So um, I, sh- I, I shoot the way that he does and, and love traditional archery. So when he, and like you, didn't have a whole lot of, didn't have a community of people to share this new found interest that I had. And so, you know, him putting us together was really, a, really a big help. Yeah. And we'll get into it later along. We've been later on in the show, we've been lucky enough to go on a, a, a pretty adventurous elk hunt together. That was quite, it was quite a trip, man. And we'll, we'll mm-hmm. talk on that later in the show. Um, but let's kind of take a step back as far as your own journey. Like let's go right to the beginning because you do not come from much like I sort of do, but even less than me, you do not come from a hunting background. No, not at all. So I was, um, I was born in India and before I was a year old, uh, my parents had moved to Dubai. And, uh, so I spent my, the first 10 year, 10 years of my life in this desert in a concrete jungle that was developing super fast. My parents, um, worked with really nice, really, uh, cushy, cushy jobs, really cool companies. And when I was 10, unfortunately, my parents realized that you can't become a citizen in the United Arab Emirates. You, okay. Once you turn 18, if you're not working, you get kicked out. Okay. So they didn't want me to have to go back to India for an education. And they said, well, let's immigrate. And so we put in applications to the UK, to the United States and to Canada. Canada came through first and that's how I ended up here. So none really, even for the first 10 years of my life, I couldn't tell you where our food came from. I had no concept of hunting. Everything was very commercial, very, um, you know, manufactured and produced. It was very engineered type of lifestyle. And then once you show up in, well, uh, particularly in British Columbia, you're just, it's, it's like getting hit in the face with this wall of beauty, Mm -hmm. right? Like you just look out your window and there's mountains and you're, kind of awestruck that we live where we do it can be too much at times oh yeah no i i I agree and for me witnessing that it was almost terrifying because you don't know how to process the outdoors and you realize very quickly that i don't feel safe outside um and so i even through my my high school years i spent a lot of time kind of avoiding things like camping and hiking and the outdoors and at the same time being super fascinated by it Yep. Because other people, uh, my wife in particular, so we're high school sweethearts, uh, but through high school, she would always talk about camping and she wanted, she wanted to meet an outdoorsy type of guy. And I was not that like for whatever reason, um, you know, we, we just, we had this, we had a lot of other things in common, but that was one thing that she secretly hoped um, I would one day be interested in. And it wasn't at the time. And it wasn't until I graduated from uh, from high school and got into the workforce and started to kind of forge my way through life that I started to get really, uh, I started to fall in love with the outdoors. Right. And I started to want to like, so kayaking became a big thing and exploring different places. I've, 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 I felt safe now. I could go out and hold my own, you know, out right. in the woods. But it, it was still one of these things that's so vast and so I didn't know what to do with it. To make a long story short, I ran into some health issues Um 
around when I was about 25, 26 years old, where I had an inflamed pancreas and I went to see every doctor um, and none of them could tell me what was wrong with me. And just because of the person that I am, I'm, I like to be, I'm a, a bit of a stubborn problem solver. I don't like not knowing the answer to something. I read book after book after book, was introduced to Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Body. Um, and after going through all of this information, started to try to self-diagnose and eating organically helped in a big way. So we started buying organic meat. And that kind of was the beginning of kind of like the spiral into hunting, which was right. it's super expensive if you want to find uh, organic uh, meat in Vancouver. It's just, I mean, there's, we found a couple of butchers where we would buy exclusively from yep. and it just became too much. So I had a love of, I've had a love for archery, just a bow and arrow, the mechanics of it and for a very long time. So I decided I was going to build a bow in my apartment, which I did. I, I bought a, a, a wood stave, built a bow on the balcony, uh, put some arrows together, started flinging it and started down my path of learning and then said, well, maybe I can learn to hunt with it. And uh, that was a complete failure because um, I didn't know what I was doing, didn't have any mentors, didn't have anyone to, to kind of, you know, point me in the right direction. But I was surprised at how good I became with a bow and an arrow um, very quickly with no help and just doing a lot of reading and watching other people. Uh, all, when it all kind of came together was kind of ties into that story with Joel. Um, I would I'd actually paid somebody. Um, actually, it was Dylan Ayers from Eat Wild. Right. I I'd, uh, I'd paid him. To he was at the time doing this sort of guided uh, learn how to hunt deal, and he said, "No, no, no, you you're you need to start with a rifle." And that's kind of how I got my rifle. He says, "Let's go out. Let's see if we can get an animal under your belt." And I missed a doe at eighty yards on the last hour right. of the last day, and uh, I met up with uh, Joe. Oh yeah, no, it was it was really it was that hurts it, for a while, man. Like, oh, it does. Yeah, and I went through every stage of denial. Right, I'm like, oh, yeah. oh my scope must have been bumped. I didn't yeah. end. The, fiddling and farting around we go and test it on like a we shot a sign at 100 yards and it was boom like a laser and he's going no it wasn't the scope dude that was totally you yeah and uh, and i once i came to terms with it um i was like i need some help and uh joel's words to me when i took his course they they i can still remember his voice he, he looked at me once i'd got control of my shot and everything just changed i said you know well maybe one day i'll be able to harvest an animal with a bow and he made this face as if like he had smelt something really bad. And he shook his head. He goes, dude, you can kill an animal this year with your bow. Right. You're that good. You just didn't have control of your shot now that you yeah. do. And so um, hunting has very quickly become, and everything outdoors has very quickly become the other half of me, you know, and uh, so I kind of have like three halves. I'd be silly about it. You know, my faith, my family, and then hunting. And everything to do with outdoors and survival. And so um, I had to try to make up for a lot of lost time very quickly. The last seven years have been incredible um, with experiences and learning and just taking it seriously and having fun. So I think there are several common barriers that people seem to run into on this journey. And I think the first you've done a really good job in describing, and that's just deciding you have an interest in getting the confidence to execute on it and do something. But then I think, and part of this you addressed through your, your engagement with Dylan, but like, how did you then actualize that? Because now it's like, okay, and this is where most people kind of hit stumbling blocks. Where do I go? What should I target first? 
where's a good place to go find said animal? Like, what was that particular journey like? That's a really good question. There is no shortage of information available yeah. and no shortage of people with answers. They're everywhere. The hard part, I think, for most people is they don't have confidence in themselves to go and find that answer. Right. It's easier to just not put in the work. I think it's pretty easy to find the answer. I just think it's easier not to. Yeah. And again, like I alluded to before, my brain cannot handle a problem unsolved. Right. I need to get to the bottom of it. It's a very, it's kind of nitpicky and very stubborn at times that I don't, and especially things about myself. Like I don't like these inconsistencies or not having an answer to a piece of information that should, that someone else has an answer to. And I've always thought, well, right. if they can do it, then I must be able to do it too. So like, for example, the question that you said was like, let's say said animal, where does it exist? Well, I mean, if you, Go on Google, <laughs> uh, go onto the internet and just ask that question, right? Where do elk live in British Columbia or where do mule deer live and start reading and start recording your findings and start recording your data and start looking for patterns. Uh, another fun thing that I like to do is instead of trying to do it on my own is trying to make friends with people that are more experienced than me. Right. And pick their brain, take them out for lunch. And on more than one occasion, like even with you, Jay, at, at, at a moment in time, I was like, hey, do you mind if we go for coffee? I've got some questions. Whether yeah. that was about business, I don't know if you remember, we talked about goal setting one time. Yeah. I just asked you, I wanna, I'm fascinated with how other people are winning. They've hacked something about themselves and hunting is no different. Mm -hmm. At one point, um, you know, it, there's no, it makes no sense for us to cry and, you know, poo poo over the fact that we weren't handed what somebody else was handed. Sure. Other people who grew up hunting, they had their grandfather pass it down to their father and their father to them. And they had these spots that became elk camp or moose camp. I don't have that. I don't have that luxury. So me crying about it isn't going to change that magically. Right. If I want it for myself, I need to be able to create it and I have to believe I have the power to do it. So, right. So it's just a matter of you decide and then you gain inches and inches turn into feet and, you know, and then that's how you move forward really. So finding animals, finding good people that have like-minded interests and then recording your data. I don't know how many times I didn't write things down just to kind of put a bow tie on this seven years ago. There's a local spot right now that I've got game cameras up because I wanted, well, I've been trying, I've been kind of a bit bitten by this bug as I want to somehow take Eastern whitetail hunting and try to do it with blacktails. Sure. I thought the same thing. I almost hiked like pellets and because what most people don't realize it's illegal, for example, and I'm, I want to, I want to say what I'm about to say carefully because I don't want to like advocate baiting deer and like right. all the issues that it brings about, totally. but I will be honest. I have spent like the unsuccessful to successful days, blacktail hunting are like 98 to one. Sure. So you start yeah. thinking like whatever I got to do, if it's going to yes. increase my odds, like I'm it's probably it. still fair chase. Cause these things are really hard <laughs> to find. And I yep. totally considered like humping one of those timed feeders and like bags of corn or whatever. Yep. I wouldn't even know how to do it, but I deeply considered that as an option because I was like, there's got to be a better way because they don't hunt like other Western big game species. They no. don't, you, you don't hunt them like a mule deer. You don't hunt them like an elk. Like anyways, I interrupted you, but no, I, no, that, that resonates very strongly because especially with blacktail, 
traditional methods. And I think people in California and Oregon, they hear us say blacktail and they're like, what are you talking about? The Columbia blacktail that reside north of the 49th parallel, A, they're not as big, B, they're far more nocturnal, and mm. C, in my experience, they're just a much more difficult animal to hunt, which of course leads you to start questioning the very tactics and saying there's got to be a better way. Jay, Jay, there's, and you got to add D to that, which is the terrain here is a okay. little bit different. It's steep and deep here, more yes. so than I found in Oregon or in Washington. It's 100%. Right, you know, so you're kind of like, okay, I have to go like vertical to get to this spot to yeah. be able to get into an area where they're just hanging out, right? And so, so I, I had this idea pop into my head, and seven years ago, I started on a journey to to hunt blacktail locally. I just want to do stuff that's within an hour to two hours of home. Yep. Uh, and at the time, I just started having kids, and now I have four instead of one, and it's that much harder uh, to be able to get out and do these things. And so I was like, all right, well, I. Thank goodness, wherever I go, I take pictures and I drop waypoints. Thank goodness. Because I got fed up seven years ago. I was like, I'm chasing a ghost, it felt, and I'm never going to get this. Yeah. And then this year, uh, just a year ago, um, oh no, would have, yeah, it would have been less than a year ago. I just on a whim decided to go through my old waypoints and go through my old photos. Okay. I looked at a, I had a camera that I, I threw up because it looked like a black taily spot. And I saw this really big buck. I had him on camera. He was cruising. It was really low light. And so I said, you know what? I, that my brain started to, to go off. I'm like, I don't have all the pieces. I don't have the answers to the puzzle. And so this year went to explore it. And I'm far more experienced now. Yep. Way more knowledge under my belt. And all of a sudden I found four does and two other bucks living in maybe a kilometer square range. Sure. And I've got cameras and they're just there i haven't been in that spot now for a couple of months because i didn't want to i want the fonts to drop and i was hoping to get them on camera but all my game camera footage uh that i've acquired it's it's again recording that data and then trying to find those puzzles or trying to find a connections between things um that's led to just me having any sort of success it's just you know this is what i've learned about myself this is what i've learned this is the data let's put it together let's get a bird's eye view and let's see if we can move forward so i don't know if that can be learned i think it can i don't think that you just have to have that personality but i think especially if you're getting into something that's new for the first time, don't be afraid to record your findings and allow it to take a little bit of time. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Quick little tangent. Did you hear that they have outlawed all game cameras 365 days a year in Arizona? No joke. Yeah, man. Dunzo. Wow. Yeah. It's I'm like sure the game camera of... capital of the world. No joke. Yeah. I think that yeah. that's, uh, that's going to uh, irritate would irritate would be a very soft word for what people are going to feel yeah, or how they're probably responding. I would imagine. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I have, I have a couple little pet theories when they put it out for not popular vote, but I think they open it up for comment period. Um, and it was two to one opposing the motion. And there's five commissioners who sit on the board and they voted in favor of it unanimously, which leads me to the conclusion. There's a, there's something missing between the public's perception of game cameras and, and some Im information that the commission has about the impact. The I think it has to do with interrupting natural behavior patterns. Yeah. Very limited sources of water in Arizona. And you have these, and I'm not going to put it solely on the outfitters, 
but you have outfitters and regular hunters consistently walking to and from these watering holes. And I think, I think the data supports that there's um, like a negative impact on the health of the population, because if they go and they start to smell, somebody's been there, they leave. Um, and it's not like just one or two guys. Plus there's been a lot of like physical conflicts between hunters because they all want pictures of the same buck. I was listening to the, to the meat eater podcast this morning and they recounted a tale. They were watching a buck come into a water hole and they heard 20 clicks, like 20 separate game cameras wow. on the same. So that's the thing. It's not like one dude going to check pictures. No, no, no. It's yeah. 20 dudes. Yeah. You know, if they're all going in there once a month, you know what I mean? Like that's you literally not- have daily activity yeah. to that, to that water hole. So I think that the knee jerk response is that's ridiculous. Those are our rights. But the more I think about it, and their argument was it violates fair chase principles. They leave it just at that. It's a they, yeah. they need. I mean, I, I think that they should they should come right out and say, look, the data is showing this is having yeah. a negative impact on the wild. And I'm just speculating, um, right. I, but I agree, and I think there is more to come. I think now that it's passed, there'll probably be a bit of an appeal process, and I think they probably will release. Um, some more justifications. I find because I can support the not during the season. You see that quite often. Oh, totally. Yeah. I'm and okay. I, I like, I don't really have any opposition to that. Like it's a tool in the toolbox and you're taking it out of my toolbox. I'll figure out a way to get it, to get it done. It. Yeah. I have, they've been so unhelpful to me that I like, I never really felt like they've helped me directly kill an animal anyways. So I don't get too bent out of shape. Right. Um, the drone thing is pretty clear cut. Like if you want to take it to yeah. the extreme under no circumstances, do I think people should be able to use drones? So then, then if you start thinking about, you know, cameras that don't require your presence, I mean, it's an advantage. I don't, you'd be hard pressed to argue that it isn't. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I I've found I've had a lot, I've had for a long time, no success with cameras. And then very recently, a ton of success with them. Right. And I think the the difference there is what are what's your end? What are you trying to do with this? Yeah. Because for, well, let's just take our backyard, for example. In British Columbia, we have, there's, I'm not going to chalk it up to one particular thing, but there's a number of factors that are impacting wildlife in British Columbia right now. Sure. And it is hard, harder for certain to find the numbers of game today than 50 years ago. Uh, I had a conversation with, uh, do you know who Dr. Valerius Geist is? I do. Okay. He's so a bit of a controversial it, figure, but um, yeah. yes. Yeah. So for, for the listeners who, if they, if you don't know who this person is, he's a wildlife biologist that is treated in the wildlife community like a God, like the guy has written, it put out a ton of studies and information. Is he from the U of A? Uh, I don't know where he taught. I, I know he's lived, he lives right. Hey, taught at university of Victoria. And Calgary. Maybe that's what um, I'm thinking of. Anyways, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Anyway, he lives on the island now, and okay. uh, he's written a ton of books. And I was just trying to get his books. That's why I reached out to him. I was like, I can't find your books for less than $1,000 a piece. Yeah, yeah. Like, Do you have any extras lying around? I will take the ferry over and get some from you. And he's like, no, let's just give me a call. And and so we chatted. Uh, and, and so when I was talking with him, he said, you know, in one day, there's a certain spot in British Columbia where he goes, um, I used to go and he says, in one afternoon, I'll sit down and just with my binos on this one hill, I could count 40 moose, four zero moose yeah. uh, within a couple of hours. And he goes, you go there now, you could spend an entire month there and you'd be lucky if you could count one. 
we'd right. see one walk through there. Uh, and so there is some, the, the numbers show that. So I'm like, okay, well, I need to put myself in a position, me not having spots handed down to me. Mm -hmm. I need to find where animals are. So it went from, this isn't going to help me kill anything to this is at least going to put me in the right place. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so having multiple cameras up in different places and coming back to check them just to get you close yeah. was my, was my goal with it. And then continuing to move them until I found hot spots or where animals are holding up and then studying that area to go, why are they here and not over there? Right. What's so different between those two spots. And uh, there's a fair bit of luck involved, honestly, because just because you have cameras doesn't mean, especially here, I think in the States, it's a bit of a different uh, animal altogether because the numbers of wildlife, the numbers of species they have there and just in their abundance, you're able to get pictures of animals in a lot of places. Whereas here, right. just because you have cameras up, I don't think that that's a guarantee. And even if you throw a tractant down, whether you throw a buck juice or salt or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean, I know people that have been hunting longer than me who've had cameras up and they go, they don't work. I never get any pictures on an of animals on my cameras. So, yeah. I, and I think you raise an interesting point and I'll even take it one step further, even more so than just using the technical data about where they are to help try and kill them. The psychological benefit of knowing you're in the mix, especially with an animal like blacktail that you are likely not going to see during the daylight until you finally see one. And that's likely the one you're going to kill. Yeah. I just found the psychological motivation. Uh, it made it so much. E I'm like, okay, there's deer here. I might not be able to find them, but yes. at least I know deer do live on this part of the mountain yes. and yeah. I'm, I'm in the right area. And, and it would be with that particular animal. Um, it, yeah, it's tough. Like I still remember watching YouTube videos and people get bent out of shape because they only see like a couple animals a day. And like, I can remember my first <laughs> year hunting blacktail in the Chilliwack Valley, something like 34 days spent hunting. Oh. Um, and I saw one deer, yep. like, and it was like, you, yeah, just, it was so difficult and you just got to make yourself keep going back out again and again and yep. again. Totally. Um, and the thing is you just need that that one. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, let, let's bring it back to some more like practical insight. So you mentioned like searching out information and trying to find people to develop relationships with, to learn from, what are some practical ways you were actually able to do that? Like what types of resources, um, did you access or take advantage of in order to facilitate that? Okay. Great question. So the beginning Probably let's leave it. Let, let's separate into two categories, searching information online and then building relationships, because okay. I think both of them are different. They're similar in what you can gain, but how you approach those things are, are a little bit different. So searching information online, uh, the first place that I went to was hunting BC, sure. which is for those people who don't know, hunting BC is a form. Uh, I'm sure if, if you're listening to this podcast, you know of Hunting BC, and it can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing when you go on there because there's a lot of people that are just plain trolls. They're not there to help you. Uh, but by the same token, I've, you know, taken a lot of information, really good information, if you know what to look for. So on Hunting BC on forums, um, you know, People will tell you that they're going to this region. You'll search forums and you'll see, well, I've, I'm planning a hunt. And that's usually how the post goes. I'm planning a hunt. I've drawn a tag. I'm looking yeah. for some information, blah, blah, blah. And then you'll have a whole bunch of people respond. And those threads just end up going nowhere really after a while because no valuable information was there. What I like to do is then message the person yeah. that went on said hunt. 
and actually start a conversation with them and talk to them about what they found in that region because they're more likely because now it's not on a, it's not public. I took it private and I'm sure, and I'm actually asking that person and it really helps if you're willing to put just not, you're just not looking for, for, to steal a spot or whatever, if you have some knowledge of the area that you're talking about, because you've actually gone there physically, put boots on the ground. So I've asked about specific regions and said, I've been through here before. I've walked this area before. Uh, what was it like when you were there in such and such year? Um, and, you know, that's a great way to start getting information from online resources that way without just expecting someone on a form because if you just type it up type on a form and expect people to, to, to jump in and help you chances are you're going to get a lot more negative information than positive information i would agree and i think just to add one more tidbit, tidbit to that train of thought showing you've put out some form of effort in that initial contact email um and asking some intelligent questions like Maybe you're considering a couple different pairs of boots and you wanted to know something specific about the terrain or what the weather was like at that particular elevation or how the access of the parking or the trail quality was like, is that river use like, go look on Google earth, use the name of a mountain, use the name of a trail. Like when somebody contacts me and and they've done their homework, I'm like, this person gives a shit. So it's like, I'm going to give a shit. When you just email me and it happens more often than I'd like to admit and say, where should I go kill something? It's like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I just, so, so anyways, and I, that I love that you brought that up. Cause I don't think I've ever talked about that as a tactic before in the show. Um, and especially cause lots of times people aren't going back to do that hunt. No. Like I did a jet boat hunt up the Musqua in 2017. I've never done a jet boat hunt up the Musqua the rest of my life. Yep. All the time people stumble across that thread and they send me a message and it's like, I'll give you a day by day playbook of what happened every day because totally. I don't really plan on, on going back there. And I see no harm in, in sharing what I learned. And it's like, you must've done some digging too, to find my thread. So clearly totally. this is important to you. Yeah. So reaching out privately and showing that you've done some, you put in some effort, yeah. um, you know, and asking questions like you were saying is, is this, could I get up and over this ridge or could I get yeah, up and yeah. over that? Could I cross that Creek or do I yeah. need, you know, blah, blah, blah. Those kinds of things are huge for people because they, they genuinely want help. Like you're always rooting for the underdog people yeah. who are experienced. They know how hard it is. Right. Yeah. And so there, if you've, if you're actually trying and putting in the effort, people are less likely to just, you know, at least I've never had someone tell me to, you know, go take a flying leap or go. They, they've genuinely been, uh, willing to help to the degree that they're able to. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, now, now there's another, another thing that you can do, which a lot of people don't do. Um, and I, I, I put this out there because I'm not going to tell you exactly how to do it because I want you to go through the process of, you have to try to figure this thing out. Don't expect someone to just hand it to you is the government website. BC government puts out a ton of information in terms of studies Um like, so they're doing, for example, they're doing the mule deer, uh, the research project that's going on right now, right. and they're offering webinars. So if someone wants to hunt mule deer in BC, 
why wouldn't you get on one of those webinars? Right. Why wouldn't you ask some intelligent questions of the people that are putting on those webinars or finding out what their Instagram handle is or what their email address is and then doing the exact same thing, which is messaging them off of the Zoom or met, like get, get off of the public area and take it private, take the conversation private and have some intelligent questions there with yeah. those people, right? Yeah. Um, now with the Mule Deer Project, this is one thing that, uh, you know, I'm, I would also go a step further. There's other studies that are happening. See if you can volunteer right. on some of those studies and get out. Yeah, there. they just had a goat count. And that's a really good example. If you've never hunted goats before, going hanging out for a weekend with a bunch of goat hunters, I think 80 dudes showed up for that. And they're going to put you on a, on, a, on a hill and you're going to look through your spotting scope for a couple of days looking for some goat is a fantastic way to get into the community and get some real tactical advice. Yeah, absolutely. And that'll tie in a little bit to when we come to talk about personal relationships when you're face to face with somebody, right. but same exact same uh, principle applies. Um, going a step further, wildlife biologists, all of their contact information is listed, yeah. right? The number of people that I know don't reach out to these this is their job to yeah. know this stuff, to study it, to compile the data. And again, if you're if you email them and you're you phone them up and you're just gonna go in there and say, hey, I need a spot to go hunt because I've, you know, don't expect a very favorable response back from that person. Yeah. That being said, if you're asking some interesting questions, for example, I knew that um, in the state of Washington they they can tell you the wildlife biologists can tell you the average day that a cow elk goes into heat huh. they can tell you what day in september which is the 13th of september in the state of washington so i was like well i wonder if our wildlife biologists know that too so i went online and i said so here guys you don't even need to email them i'll tell you the answer our biologists don't know that data because they have no way of, of gathering and compiling that data so don't bother asking them that question but questions like that are fantastic right right so if you can think about you know do you guys have um, a mortality rate of the calves that are born um, of, or of the, the fawns that are born for X species or whatever? These are intelligent questions that'll then open the door for you to start gathering intel on regions that you want. Or you can just ask them the health, how's the herd doing in this particular region? Or how's, um, you, you know, uh, is, is there an overpopulation of wolves or coot, like cats or something like that? Because I'm going after this species and I'm wondering, do I need to have protection? you know like should i be carrying bear spray or you know what should i be aware of to yep. avoid run-ins all those are intelligent questions That'll they do a ton of field work too so asking them access issues is definitely not out oh. of their scope of practice because even if they're not out there they're going to have juniors that are that are out there or they know guys who are collecting data on a regular basis in different regions and stuff so i think that's also you know fair play and then the last thing is that a lot of that data um, is compiled and it's put um, on the government websites so that then you can take some of it. So a, a very common, uh, an easy one for people to do is if you use iHunter, yep. uh, you can go and find all of the burns. Now they actually just released it as a burn layer. So you don't even have to do this anymore. But prior to that, I went on the BC government website to look at all of the burns and added that as a layer on iHunter so that I could just turn it on and go, okay, I know where, where this is. And I know, okay, how old that is. And I know where, where I should be spending my time and then cross-referencing that with uh, Google earth. 
And then the last one that I'll say is um, statistics, harvest statistics. There are books that you can go and buy. You can go find these where you can see. Um, and I got onto this again by attending webinars. I'm watching and someone mentioned, yeah, you can go find this information. Uh, you know, if you just look hard enough, you can actually find the harvest statistics and then you can go back and look at where over the last 50 years has, which regions have had the most amount of success for harvest statistics there. I mean, they do that for the LEH. You can go up, right. you can go online and find that and go, okay, well, if you drew an LEH tag, by the way, did you? Zero. Zero. Dude, I got a shared moose hunt this year. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, uh, was, that's six consecutive years. I've never drawn a tag in British Columbia. Okay. So seventh, this is seven years in a row, seven times a charm. So next year, okay, so you're, I'm you're, up. You're, you're up. one you're more up. to go. There you go. Just hang in there. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, when I was looking at the LEH to put in for which regions, I was looking at the LEH big game harvest statistics. I wanted to know, and you don't, you don't need to be really good at Excel spreadsheets to figure this out, but you can figure out which regions have the highest hunter to harvest ratio. So right. I wanted to not just know how many animals were taken, but how many hunters were in that area and how many of them were successful. So you can start to narrow down your food, put yourself in the best position to win is really what it comes down to. Right. Right. Yeah, when, are you gonna, when are you going to do this? So, so that's all online data. Do you have anything to add for anything that way? No, I think you did a good job of, of covering it. I wish we kept better statistical data in like the only thing they ever get asked to fill out is a cougar uh, harvest right. questionnaire. Um, and I would have no problems filling out a, a questionnaire at the end of each year. Every year. Yeah. I, no problem. It takes five, five minutes. Um, yeah. I get a little bit spoiled because of the hunting in the States. They, most States are pretty detailed with the statistics that they keep, that they keep yeah. track of. But um, I think those are all great points you mentioned. When it comes to building relationships with people, um, you're going to have to have a likable personality. Unfortunately, if you're just a jerk and you don't know how to make friends or, you know, you, you're just kind of too rough around the edges, uh, you're going to need to change if you want to build relationships with people. And I would always, I, I used to play this game with myself when I was building a business and I would look and was looking for a particular kind of customer. I'd ask myself this question, what's my ideal customer? I'd start there. Yeah. And then I'd start profiling that customer. You know, how old are they? Uh, what, what's their family demographic or background and all these kinds of things. And I'd start to just kind of boil it down to where would that kind of person hang out? And then I wanted to go and hang out in those places. Now, with the advent of social media, you kind of don't need to do that anymore. You can search a hashtag and you can start to find people pretty quickly, you know, who are in your vicinity. And it's not, I mean, I guess it's a bit more difficult now because of COVID. But prior, uh, I would just ask people if I could take them out for a cup of coffee right. and pick their brain. And that's really how it would start. Now, there's other things that you can do just, you know, directly reaching out to people. Like you kind of mentioned the goat hunt or the, 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 the goat count or the, yeah. um, you know, archery shoots are another big thing. So if you're not, I mean, if you're primarily a rifle hunter, I, I would imagine that there's something of that equivalent where a group of people gather together to, you know, shoot in tournament. But I know for certain in BC, there's a lot uh, of archery tournaments and shoots that, take place throughout the year. Yep. And there's a ton of hunters that show up at those shoots. And so when you go and you just decide that I'm going to spend the day with the intention of, I don't care how I shoot. I just want to make some friends. I want to get to know some people. 
I've got more intel, more information, more access through doing that than any of the other methods that I know. It's people. People right. for me are the key. It sadly is a matter of who you know, because those people will open up doors for you. Kind of like you were saying, you know, I'm probably never going to hunt there again, uh, or I'm not going to go back or don't plan to. Here, go check. I've had people literally just go, go to this spot. Here, you know what? Come with me. I will take you. And they've dropped me off at a spot. Right. And it's been a gold mine. So in that regard, building great relationships with people and being willing to pull your weight or offer something in return is huge that way. And I think, honestly, I would be willing to go out on a limb and say this. It, it almost is on the same level as knocking on doors and, and dropping off like a bottle of wine to somebody like, you know, right. like how people used to do it old school to get access to. I really think that building relationships this way, when it's not a strictly, I, I need access to your property to hunt. We're just having a good time and we're just chatting about stuff, you know, um, being a good neighbor and uh, being willing to help. So I was at a, an archery shoot uh, just this past Sunday. Uh, Burnaby Field had an archery shoot there. Okay. And um, I showed up and there was a gentleman over there that happened to throw it. He mentioned, I'm, I've got an ILF traditional archery rig that I can't get to tune. And I said, hey, we need to find a time this week. I've got tons of arrows and I've got every field grain, uh, uh, every uh, grain weight that you could need for field tips. Yep. Let's get it dialed. So we picked a day. I showed up and I have nothing to lose except an hour of my time, but I get to shoot sure. my bow. So that's not a big deal. Yep. And I spent that, we turned into two hours and got a dialed setup for this particular person. Awesome. And as a result of that, find out that they're a videographer. Uh, they're at the moment unable to hunt, but they love to, to go on and just film other people hunt. And they happen to know somebody that has access to a very difficult place in BC that has fallow deer. Huh. So you start thinking about, I had no intentions of doing any of that stuff. Right. But if you don't put yourself in that position to make friends and be helpful, doors don't get opened. Right. Yeah. So you, and it may, it may not go anywhere. Who knows? Right. Like yeah. it, there's, there's a lot of yeses that need to happen, but I like putting myself in the best position to win this way with people, with relationships, you know? And so um, getting out to these places, taking people out for coffee or buying them lunch and picking their brain and showing up prepared. Right. If you're going to take somebody out to coffee, you need to have um, a set number of questions, intelligent questions that you're going to do with this person. That's not, hey, I need a place to hunt. Right. Right. Yeah. But those are, those are all of the things that I've employed over the last uh, seven years or so. And all of them have worked in different circumstances, all of them. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And the only piece I would add, and this especially plays to the personal relationships or even just personal discussions that originate online, is like, don't be afraid to go and fail first. Because I find people are far more open once they know you've already tried a couple times. Yeah. Like I've even seen guys go in and look for sheep information and the old timers will, will be like, listen, you go fail a couple times and then here's my cell number. Literally saying, like, I just want you to, I want to know that you actually give enough of a shit about this, that you're willing to do it, even if you fail. Yep. And then you prove that to me, then we'll have a conversation. I'll, I'll give you some spots or I'll give you some tips or, but especially the old timers, 
they want to know that you're willing to do it without help before they give you like really direct help. Anybody will give you like broad general feedback, but if you're talking about like really juicy tips, yeah. um, that's been my, that's been, I've even had guys reach out like really experienced guys after seeing me fail in some of my videos and yeah. give me very specific advice about yeah. like next time you're in that situation, this is what you want to do. Or if you're looking for that animal, these are a couple spots that you're going to want to go check out because you proved you wanted it. And that's really, that's what I think pisses people off is that you want what I had to work for, for free. Yes. And that pisses me off. But when yeah. you're willing to work for it too, I think it just changes the dynamic of the relationship. Like people like to help, but yeah. they want to know that it's, that it's like you're helping somebody who deserves it. Yeah. And also someone who believes and sees the world the way that you see the world, believes sure. what you believe. Nobody wants to do business with people who don't believe what they believe. Yeah. But if you have a, you find a like-minded individual that cares about it enough as you do, well, then you kind of want them to win, right? If they fail, maybe they not fail the same number of times, but they fail, they feel what you feel, right? Yeah. Uh, I had a actually interesting story just also came up. So I've got a particular spot that uh, I've been working on for the last four years. That's one of the harder places to hunt elk just because the numbers aren't so great. Uh, and I've got them on camera now and I've, uh, I know that they're in the area and I know that I should be able to go and hunt them during the bow season because once, once rifle opens up, they disappear off the camera sure. and then they don't come back for a while. But so as I, I was, um, as I was kind of preparing for this, I got a phone call from somebody that I, out of the goodness of my heart had kind of introduced, I, I didn't know what I was doing when I was all hunting the very first time, but yeah. I said, I, I have a, a, a spot and, um, and this guy was new to hunting. And I said, well, why don't you, come with me. We'll learn together. And he came with me and we actually got a bugle back the very first day. This is four years ago. Very right. first day we, we got a bugle back. So long story short, this year he reached out to me. He's gone off and hunted and been successful on his own for the last few years. And he had a buddy cancel on him. And he goes, I thought of you, you took me out hunting for the very first time. I've got a spot. And I thought of you, do you want to come along? So I have a backup spot for this year as well. So this whole idea of building relationships with people, even taking somebody out that's new, right? You're thinking not for immediate purposes, like not for instant gratification. Yeah. Taking somebody out that's new and teaching them does a couple of things, I think, for the individual. One, you have to articulate every single thing that you're doing, which means you have to reinforce your own understanding of it before you can give it to somebody else. Right. You're solidifying what you already know. You're helping that person figure out real time what to do. And that's better than reading a book, really just being out there boots on the ground, but then it could pay dividends down the road. Like it's done for me, like this year sure. to have somebody else call me and go, I've got another spot. Uh, this spot is any bull and uh, during the archery season and I've got them on camera and I know that they've, I've tried to hunt them unsuccessfully the last couple of years, just because I didn't know. I can't call or, you know, I've not been able to, to, to close the gap. I don't have the, the strategy down or whatever. So you can have all these things be presented to you when you've put in the time effort. And if you've just paid it forward enough, yeah, opportunities start to present themselves. 100%. Okay. So let's take a bit of a pivot here. Um, because you mentioned initially that kind of meat was the inspiration to start hunting. And I kind of know the answer to this question, but I want to hear your thoughts on it anyways. 
it is not a cost-effective way over the long term to provide meat for yourself. So what I'm now that doesn't mean we don't like the meat, um, and it's not one of the fundamental reasons. But I'm a little bit more curious about the role hunting serves in your life now that it's kind of become a more integral part of of who you are and how you look at the world. That's very interesting. Because I haven't had to articulate, no one's ever actually ever asked me that question. Is it started off this way? What, why, or how does it operate or, you know, fit into your life now? And you're, you're absolutely right when you say it's not the most cost-effective way, because it, it just isn't. You spend, if you're going to get into this, at some point or another, you have to come to the realization it's easier for certain there's a lot less grief involved yeah, yeah. just go to the grocery store yeah and uh and, and just buy whatever you need to buy um but if if i had to just be blunt i'm i'm at the moment creating something with hunting that i want to be able to enjoy with my family down the road um and it's the stuff that i kind of missed out on as a child right so everything that i'm doing now is has has something in some fashion or form is tied back to my family i hear these stories that people will have about moose camp or elk camp with their grandfather or with their father or with their whole family and they all got together and they did this as a family and it i i have this i'm, I'm kind of borrowing the nostalgia of these other people and going, wow, that would be so cool. How amazing would that be if we could do that too? So there's an element of that. Another side of it, and I just have to be selfish about it, is that it is a way for me to keep my sanity. Mm -hmm. Because we live in a very disconnected matrix at the moment. People are so plugged in. Like, look at this. You and I are having a conversation digitally. Yeah. Right? In order to be able to communicate. And then we're going to broadcast that out digitally to the world. It's so um, complicated to think when you try to wrap your hand around it, but as human beings, we are, we, we need the tactile sensations and we've lost that. I think honestly, if the grid were to go down, the vast majority of people, especially people who live in, in BC where there's so much wilderness around you, a lot of them would not know how to acquire food and sustain oh, themselves. No way. Uh, and I think that my house would be the first place that a lot of people would show up right. in your house too. They'd be like, he knows how to kill something. We yeah. need to go, right? Yeah, uh, and neighbors so, would be by for sure. Right? So you kind of stop and, and there's a great level of confidence that you acquire by being out in the woods and knowing how to take care of yourself and just stay alive that yeah. comes from pursuing this path. And when life, when you come back, into the world where you have to be plugged in all of a sudden, You're like, do you have any idea what I just did? No, you couldn't even fathom what, what I just went through. Whatever you're going to throw at me today, world, I got this. I'm going to be just fine because I feel like it's fabricated what I'm dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. We're creating problems that aren't really problems. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And so to be able to go, no, no, I can't find water that's a serious problem, right? Or, yeah. you know, I just tore my meniscus. That's a serious problem, right? Like you start to have these moments of you realize what's really important. And so hunting has evolved to this very, 
it's it's pseudo spiritual. You know, it's it's taken on another life. It's a big part of me keeping my sanity, me allowing my soul to breathe, um, and and then building something for the future that I can that that I can be genuinely excited about to share with my family. Right. right. Yeah, that's an interesting part too. It's something that I'm that I'm very impressed about with you is the integration of family, especially with your young kids. Cause it's like going to a shoot with kids is 10 times harder than just going yourself. Yes, it is. And you invite that challenge upon yourself on, on a regular basis. And that impresses me. I got one kid and that's enough, you know, to make me want to pull my hair out. Um, and I still can't imagine take, like, she's just, yeah, she's just not at that place right now. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think that's an important part of your, of your story and something people can take a lot away from because you have spent a lot of time and energy in order to kind of facilitate that within your, within your family and turn it from like a I pursuit into an us pursuit. Yeah. The, the other thing too, is I'm not going to get emotionally attached to any particular outcome. Right. Because if it doesn't pan out the way that I want it to, you know, I could cripple myself if I get too emotionally attached to some fantasy, you know, because sure. that's really what it is right now, especially with the family stuff. And on more than one occasion, like you bring up going to archery shoots with family, taking, um, so Christina, my wife, she's usually got baby on the back and she's yep. shooting a bow. And then I'm responsible for the other three boys um, who each have their own bow. And they've got targets right in front of them. And we, there's there's hacks to this, right? Like I'm not going to take them on a hike shoot or something like that where it's it's way more complicated. On a flat, fee, flat field shoot, it's way, way easier to do because everyone's just in a line. Right. So if they shoot at a target, I leave myself as a last shooter for a number of reasons. One, I get make sure everyone else is having a good time. And usually by about target, there's about 20 targets in a row. By about target of 12 or so, some of them have got bored and they're going to go wander off and do something, which is fine. They're safe. It's all good. And I can continue to shoot. It just gets easier. Right. But if I put myself last, all the pressure is on me now. Right. And if you want great concentration practice stress, you need to be the last shooter on the line while everyone else is waiting and watching you now to let yeah. that arrow go. It is so good for practice because again, I'm using everything to try to recreate a stressful situation where I have to make a split second shot and it needs to count. And so that's just another way of used archery shoots and people love it. People love having kids in it. So it's a great, it's been really, it's, it's been a blessing as much as it's been difficult. It's also been a real, it's like working out. Like, you know, sure. people could point out all of the stresses that are involved and that's eh, difficult. Yeah. We, we can make excuses for it or we can embrace it and come out of it. The best version of ourselves. Sure. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm actually heading away camping with my daughter, just us, just the two of us for this weekend. I'm still not sure exactly hundred percent where we're going to go but I'm looking forward to it. And I want to try and get her out at least three or four times. She actually likes it. And it's I, similar to what you're talking about. You use the word like not getting emotionally attached to outcomes. I do this in a similar vein with outdoor activities when like the priority is her enjoying herself. Yes. And if that means we don't leave till 10 o'clock and we stop at McDonald's on the way and we only spend one night and we take the laptop so we can watch cartoons in the morning in the tent. Okay. 
because that's what's going to make it a fun weekend for her. And then the next time I say, want to go camping, she's going to attach this fondness to it and be like, I like, and don't get me wrong. We still get to do all the other stuff while we're there. We're going to go swimming in the lake. We're going to go on a little bit of a hike. We're going to do all like the naturey stuff. But if you pepper in the fun stuff and like yes. take off your, this has to be a moment of growth hat. Yeah. Um, I find it's much more successful. So we were just up at East Harrison. There's okay. three different campsites up there, Cascade Peninsula, Bear Creek, and I can't remember what the third one is, which is further north, uh, just on the east side of Harrison Lake. Um, and we, this was our first time camping with four kids, no yeah. potable water, pit toilets, right? You got to bring your own water and everything. And the lake is just magnificent. But the kids had an amazing time while they were there. How they was it for fun. crowds? It was, I mean, it's not the most private campsite, but there were no crowds because it's a municipal campsite. It's not run by BC. Like you don't have to book it on um, okay. the BC parks or whatever the go camping website is. I can't remember what it is. Uh, it's not like going to Alouette Lake or something like that where everybody and their dog is there, right? No, this okay. is, uh, there, there were several campsites that were empty and people come and go. And if you're able to get it get there during the, uh, you know, the, the week, it's, it, there, there's literally nobody there, but the lake's right there. And it's phenomenal for nighttime photography. Can so you, you wanna, book in advance or do you just show up and hope for the best? There are some, there are some that are show up and hope, or you can book for the best. I'll send you the website afterwards. No, that'll be great, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to build like a little database. Cause originally I was trying to like take her to like a bit more of a backcountry adventure. And then I'm like, nah, I, let, let's just take this slow. And if it means like a more manicured campsite, the first couple of times, like I can't remember you remember me telling you where I went last? I don't know where you went. I remember you went. You took like the thermostat with you. I remember. Yeah. And it was off of the Coca-Cola. I want to say it started with a T. I could look it up because I know I took some points when I was there. But it was pretty great. Like there was campsites and we lucked out and there was one empty one and it was free and you didn't have to, like you couldn't have booked in advance if you if you yeah. wanted to, but, and it was, you know, I thought it was far enough away that it was going to be like off the beaten path and you show up and there's like 300 people there. But I think yeah. that's anything within three hours of Vancouver. Like, yeah. just, like there's no way you're going to be the one guy to find something that everybody doesn't know about. No. Yeah. No, the, the, I would say that the East Harrison was a trial for me this year because it was one of those places I, you, like you're driving about 20 minutes on forest service road, basically. Sure. Like it's, it's, Travel the entire way uh, north of uh, from the Harrison Hot Springs area uh, along the east side of the lake. And when you get up there, you know, you'll pull in. There's a really nice caretaker. And uh, and the, like you get down, it's not very big, but the, about half the campsites, or at least a third of them are first come, first serve. And a lot okay. of them are empty. A lot right. of them are empty. And the rest of them are bookable. But like it's a minute, two minute walk down to the water. Okay. And once you're at the water, like it's, it's gorgeous. There's a right. little bit of beach there uh, and you can just have as much fun. I mean, and then if you go back the other way, there's forest service roads, you can go for a hike. You can do all sorts of things. There's a couple of cool waterfalls, but um, it was a bit, it was definitely a bit much with, uh, with four and especially our youngest who's uh, Gemma, my daughter, she's uh she's a handful. She's not even two yet. Like right. she will run into everything that's dangerous and potentially kill herself managed to not kill herself. And so like I needed a third person there full time just to, just yeah. to look after her. But no, that I would, I would recommend that one. If you're looking to get off the beaten path, it's not like um, there's 300 people there. There's maximum uh, you know, I think there might be like 20 campsites that are there and most people don't know about it because you can't find it by going online and booking. Right. 
you have to go to a uh, private website, a municipal website to be able to get it. Okay. Yeah. And I'm assuming no fires. No, we had fires. They had a can. They had a as long as ring they're just in the, in in the rings. Yeah. The, okay. the little pit that was there. I mean, I don't think they've started a fire ban yet in BC anywhere. Well, if you were I doing know, it last weekend, man, because that would have well, been I mean, I know the... that's in Lytton, right? They should have, but yeah. um, what's happened there is horrible. But I, I, haven't, know, I haven't heard anything here uh, okay. locally, so who knows? Okay. Okay, so let's let's. Um, I want to be cognizant of your of your time here. Um, let's talk about our elk hunt a little bit, and then let's talk about your your plans for the year. Cool. Um, what was your? Because I mean, that was quite a trip, man. Like it was it was no small undertaking. We've definitely had our fair share of conversations, but it's also been almost a year now, and yeah. I know that time. Uh, marinates all things including yes. thoughts so yes. i would because we haven't had a good chat in quite a while now i would love to hear like where you're at with that hunt now that it's a kind of a year in the rearview mirror oh man so your your description is very accurate it my perspective on that hunt has changed so much over the last year yeah uh, i would definitely say that um I, okay. So how do I, how do I, how do I say this? When, when we, we spent so much time preparing for that hunt, going back and forth, oh. waypoints and data and all this other stuff, because it was such a weird thing to happen. We were supposed to go to Idaho. We yeah. still never did. We never went to Idaho. No. And this was such a last minute, throw everything that you can like throw it all, all COVID together. man. We were supposed to go in yeah. like a month before, or maybe it was, it was longer than that. Actually, we thought it was going to open back up is what we yeah. thought was going to happen. Thought it was going to open back up. Yeah. And it never did. No. And, uh, and that was so, it, it was so like on the, on the drive up was where I started in, initially going. Cause I, I was like, you know, I've best shape I've ever been because the year yep. prior on an elk hunt, I, the reason why I reached out to you for working out was because I was like, I had my rear end handed to me and I didn't really do anything extraneous. So I need to get into shape and you would give me some advice and started working out and I'd put on 20 pounds and I was hiking every day. I was like the best shape that I'd ever been. And I started to have these butterflies in my stomach on the drive up because I, I realized that I might not have been able to keep up with you. Right. Was on the original on the, on the drive up. And the first day we did exactly uh, what we said we were not going to so do. So retarded, man. Uh, because I, re I even remember the Zoom conversation that I had with you. And we were like, yes. you know, we have this tendency. Or like you were saying, I have this tendency to just like, you know, go balls to the wall the very first day that I'm always, you know, regretting it after. Or something yeah. along those lines. You said that. Let's not do that. Yeah. And what did, I think we finished at 18 miles on that first day is what we did. We used nine and we might have got back to the truck at like one o'clock in the morning or something. Like it was, yeah, it was pitch black. Late. We left at like 4.30 or something like, and it oh. was just a comedy of errors. Like it was like deciding not to camp and make it back to the truck at like four o'clock in the afternoon because we just weren't seeing what we needed to see. Like it was just, it was one of those situations where decision led to decision led to decision. And it's like, no one would have made the decision we made all at once, but yeah. it, it felt like it made sense as the they time. just unfolded in front of you. But in hindsight, terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, so if we give people context, you know, I mean, they can watch the videos because that was a, it was really great that you, that you, we were able to document it. You were able to put it all together. 
Um, but on that first day, the thing that the the super cool thing was getting a bugle that first morning yes. when we were on the side of the hill and yeah. having a response back to a location bugle and going, they're right over there. Yeah. And had we, in hindsight, just gone straight Why over Why didn't there, we? Dude, I've thought about this a hundred times. Like we're looking across the valley and hearing a bugle and we're like, let's go this way. Yeah, we're going to walk this ridge and circle around and come back. And then about halfway down, we forgot that we were going to circle around and come back. And yeah. we just kept going. We crossed and then just kept going. Yeah. And then, um, and so that that first day, I so full disclosure, that first day was the day that I tore my, I didn't know that I tore my meniscus. It was in the bog on the way back. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And um, at the moment, I was just, you know, we were, and thank goodness we were doing it in the dark because during the daytime it would have been way more terrifying, like terrifying, like coming down on your bum on some of those like steep downs and then back up again. It was intense coming back, but then hearing all, like, do you remember that monster bull bugle yeah. back? It was eight o'clock at night or 845 or something. Yeah. And you let out a bugle and we got this like, Whoa. And they were right there, man. Right like there. that's another one where I wish we'd have just. I think we thought we were closer to the truck than we were. Like I almost, I don't almost, I wish we would have just stopped yeah, set up right camp there. and like played those bulls at the break of dawn. They were, they were right there. They were right and, there. Uh, and, and then getting back and you know what, had we done that, we wouldn't have worried so much about the other guys that ended up packing up and leaving the next day anyway. I know. Cause we didn't go back into that area because we're like, no. well, let them have it. Yeah. Uh, so that first day was definitely a comedy of errors. And for me, everything mentally started to spiral out of control because I was worried about my knee. Because yeah. usually, like, I'm like, no, I should be able to go significantly further than this. But it progressively got worse. I think I, I stayed on it until day six or day seven. I can't remember. Um, but the, that, so I, I came back from that hunt, not realizing I had a little bit of PTSD. I had one of my, my, my good friends who's a psychologist. She's like, you're talking very interesting. Like you're saying a whole bunch of things. We were just, ha we were, ha she was over for, for, um, for, uh, just a visit one evening. And she was like, Oh, I didn't ask you, how did your hunt go? And I was explaining what had happened and all this stuff. And then I, I would from time to time getting out of the truck or getting out of the truck, trying to finish my hunting season, I'd have like my heart racing. Yeah. And I was like, what the heck? Like I did, did I just drink an energy drink or trying to remember how many coffees have I had today? And I'm going, no, no, no. I need to, I need to like nip this in the bud because I'm not letting this be the thing that, uh... so anyway, so that, that trip initially was the most exciting encounters I've ever had with elk in my entire life. And the most challenging that I've ever been pushed and it was in, in, a, in essence at the time, I, I kind of, I don't know what the best word would be, but I was, I was really unnecessarily depressed about how poorly I performed right. on that. Cause you didn't, well, I'm I sure mean, your I can understand your perception of it and how you might have seen it like that in the moment. Yes. But, but in reality, you did not perform Poorly. I, I wouldn't say that's an accurate description of, of, right. of, of what occurred. At one point, you were forced to, to pull the pin. That's one kind of incident. Um, but up until that moment, like you were, you were holding your own, man. Yeah. And so that gave me a lot of perspective. So you have to kind of look at it at the moment. And yeah, you try to, you try to get, you know, on some sort of foundation, some ground. You're otherwise you're yeah. when you're emotionally high, you're on such shaky ground yeah. where you're not really sure whether what you're thinking is reality 
yeah. or whether this is, you know, just me letting my emotions run away with myself. But having experienced the entire gamut of, of emotions. So another another uh, interesting thing that happened was that brief moment in time where you went one way and I kept going the other way. <laughs> That's the only point of friction we had on the whole trip. Yes, it was. It was. Which, uh, which is a success. <laughs> like to be able to go into the woods with somebody, drive that far for starters. Yes. Share multiple hotels, go in the woods, share the same shelter and hike that far together. And we only had one moment where we even got anything resembling short with each other. Yep. That's, that's yep. remarkable. It was, it was good. I mean, I, I'd never done anything like this before. So I was just like, oh, this is, um, so I, I was, and the part that I'm talking about was the part where I was by myself in yeah, the yeah, middle yeah. of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember the inreach texts. <laughs> okay, we so said I got to tell. So I think we were going uphill for quite a ways. I don't remember. Yeah. Like, I don't know how long of a stretch. It was a, couple, a kilometer or two or something. Like we were at, at least. Yeah, it was a long so, ways. And so you were just going, and I was like, my yeah. knee is slowing me. I can't. I, I'm like, I'm like you. Okay, you keep going, and you went around a bend, and I'm just trying to keep up. And I get around at the top of the bend, and then all of a sudden, I could see this straight. Yeah. line like there was like a, a line cut in the trees where i could see for a really long way and i'm like oh he must just be down that hump and then over and i kept going and going and going and i'm like i don't see him anymore so i stopped and i look back and i look forward i'm going i think i've lost him yeah. and i had this immediate going okay relax this is why we have in reaches yeah i'll just send him a message and everything will be fine i must have been there for like by myself i don't know maybe 25 minutes 45 minutes, I don't know, something like that, 20, 40 minutes and bugling, trying to get a response, doing everything and going, what if he's died? What if he <laughs> fell off a cliff? Yeah. Like, why, why is he not responding? Like, how am I going to, okay, I know where the truck is. I know I can get back to the truck. Like I went through this entire, like what I'm going to do to have to get somebody out alive. Cause I'm not, I'm not dead, yeah. but I was like, well, what if somebody just tumbled off a cliff or something? Like, and so I was going through everything and then stopped and had like another little bit of a break and went, no, there's a ridge over here. And I bet you he walked that ridge. And so I went back and then walked the ridge and then found you. And I forget what I said to you. I was so mad. I was so yeah. angry. Um, you were pissed. I was pissed. And then you read the text messages and it was hilarious because I'd, yeah. I'd sent you. There was like this escalation of anxiety in the. Oh, yes. In, in yeah. The, like, hey, man. To like, uh, where are you? And then there was like yeah. more caps and then like a couple exclamation points. And I will, I will own my, my part of that because I get too complacent because it, to me, it's second nature. And I knew where you were in relation to where I was. And I kept thinking, there's this thing just up ahead that I need to go verify. And then I'm just going to go back and get him. But it doesn't make sense. We might not end up going as far as I go. So I'm like, I'm just going to try and run ahead, figure out what needs to be figured out, and then double back. And the mistake I made is that we had been on the same trail for miles. Yeah. And then right when we got to the top of that one ridge, there was a fork and there yeah. was the fork that went to the left that went to where our eventual campsite had been. And then there was a fork that went to the right. And at that point I should have used some flagging tape or something to indicate which way I had gone. Cause gone. that also yeah. would have, would have solved the issue. But I also had to confront, like I am not, I was not an, an old, like a nice person to hunt with on that hunt. Like I get overly focused on the outcome and I, like, I wasn't particularly sympathetic. I like, I wasn't, you know, like I, I'm well aware of who I am when I get, you know, hyper-focused on 
on it, on achieving something. And that like, I could have been more helpful at, at certain times. Well, anyway, I mean that, that, that moment in time will, was just one of those, like, I, again, I, I realized that you're like, and I say marinating, you know, like, or you said marinating yeah. in hindsight, looking back at it, I go, you were playing at your very best. You were in pursuit of your very best. Yeah. And I cannot, I mean, there's, there's certain things that I could get angry or frustrated about that are even circumstantial. But the truth of the matter is, is that if two people aren't aligned, if they're not on the exact same page and they're both playing at their very best, they could find themselves in two different situations, like two, oh, yeah. two different viewpoints and how they view the world. And so I can't fault you for playing at your very best because that's then that's naturally who you are. That's how you're going to do it. And so uh, I, I kind of go like, you know, I wonder if if things were different or if that moment in time, there's so many what ifs and should haves and could haves and all those things, but they're never going to happen. And so I have to take the best things out of that entire experience. And as time's gone, like the years gone by, I can only look back and laugh and look at the best things that I got to experience out of that entire trip. And the things that I'm sad about are the things that I wish I did that I didn't do, that I was in control of, either because I was not capable physically or because I allowed something mentally to get the better of me. Right. And in some cases, that might have been a really good thing because I could have injured myself more. And in other cases, it was, no, um, you need to finish what we set out to do. And I'm not, I'd, and that was basically what it came down to is I don't want to slow this down anymore because we need to come home with an animal. Then our best bet is for you to go because I'm slowing us down which is what ended up, what ended up happening on day six, my knee had grown to like, it felt like three times the size of the other one. And we were, that was the day that was the the night before where we had camped and we had bugling for an hour and then like five gunshots go off at like last light and then silence. And then we go up this hill where all the bugling was and we saw nothing. And uh, just a ghost town, man. It was just a ghost town and there was fog there too. Like they were gone. And, yeah, and it uh, snowed on me that day. Yes, that's right. And actually, yeah. so this is interesting. You, when I got, so we get halfway up this hill. We're both freezing. I'm, oh, I'm trying yeah. to. You forgot your puffy jacket, I think, yeah. back at the end. Yeah. Um, and so we're, uh, we're. It had we're been there. like summer conditions most of the hunt. I'm like, I'm yes. not going to need this today. No, exactly. And then all yeah. of a sudden, it starts snowing, and and I'm like, uh, I can't. I, I need to pull out because my knee won't bend anymore. And I, I remember taking that step. I still remember this. Taking that step, and you know how you're like when you when you chop onions, your eyes start watering. Yeah. Like you you don't have a way of controlling. It's not like you don't no. think about it. It just starts to go. All of a sudden, I felt my face and my the, my cheeks were wet because my eyes were watering. Right. And and then the pain hit me, and I'm like, okay, so I'm on. Like I've had like four Advil already and four Tylenol. This isn't working anymore. And now I can't bend my knee. And there was a cliff. I looked over and I went, if I fall here, we're done. Like yeah. I'm not, that's, that's it. So I, I think the safe thing to do with the intelligent, intelligent thing to do would be to get myself out of there and allow the hunt to progress after that. So when I got back down, um, I looked at the tent and I went, oh shoot, it's puffy jackets here. And I think your extra fuel canister was there. So I left you, I yeah. left one of my, my fuel canisters and I left everything that I could. Um, and then I, I packed up my stuff and made it back to the truck and then was in the, the hotel for a couple of days at the lodge there. At, uh, but, uh, but then I, I'm still in complete disbelief, like seriously, of how you continued on for the remaining three days. Because you did some pretty incredible things to me 
by yourself alone for another three days to finish I, off. I went ham. Well, so you pulled out on that day. I finished that day, slept in camp that night, hunted the next day till like three in the afternoon. Yes. On the same hill, beautiful day, but ghost town. Then we went out and we went to Fort Nelson. And I, I said to myself, everything we'd been doing had been like a day to two hike within the road. You know what I mean? Like, yes. And, and uh, sub 10 miles one way. And, yeah. and I said to myself, I'm like, the only, and I was like, I couldn't handle going in and out anymore. I was like, there's three days left. I'm going in and I'm yeah. not coming out until we're driving back home. Yeah. Um, and then I said to myself, fuck this. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to put my backpack on that next morning. Stayed in, got lots of food, stayed in the hotel that night in Fort Nelson. And I'm like, I'm literally just going to walk as far as I possibly can in that first day. And I'm going to get as deep as I possibly can. And then I'm going to have two more days to kind of make this giant loop and, and hunt my way out. Yeah. And I think the furthest I was from the truck, something in the neighborhood of 24 miles. Yeah. Um, because that's where I calculated it later. And when I came to full draw on that caribou, thank God I didn't <laughs> like, didn't this is the thing, like what I was going to do with the caribou oh, 24 man. miles from the truck. I still don't know. By yourself. And I would have, I would have sucked it up and done whatever I had to do, but I, yeah. I certainly did not actually calculate what would have been necessary. Had I pulled the release on, on that particular caribou, but yeah, man, that was, that was hardcore. And it was like, for me, the only way I can come home from a hunt and feel somewhat satisfied without an animal is that I know without a doubt, there was nothing else in my power that I was capable of doing. Yeah. And I can say unequivocally on that elk hunt, I exhausted every single possible opportunity. Yes. I went as hard as I could, as long as I could, as far as I could. Like it was, there was nothing left to give. Yep. Um, I still remember walking back out to the road when you picked me up on the last day. It's somewhat in disbelief. Like there was times when I was so far back and solo that I was just like, I, I maybe I won't actually get out of here. I don't know. Um, yeah, that was, that was a crazy, I mean, and, and still to come home empty handed, it's a tough pill to swallow, man. Cause here's the thing I love about hunting no matter how perfect you are, you may still fail. Yes. And for an arrogant dick like myself, <laughs> it is a very good pill to be forced to swallow from time to time because success is not guaranteed. No matter how hard you try, no matter how perfectly you train, no matter how perfectly you prepare, you still need that five to 10% luck. You need the animal to be in the right place at the right time, or you just... Yep. Yeah, the, the, the outcome is, is to some degree out of your control. And there's just nothing you're going to be able to do that's ever going to change that. And that's part of what I love about it. Because most other things in life, as long as you, you know, make the appropriate sacrifice, exert the appropriate energy, make the appropriate plans, you're going to win. Yep. But, but hunting is, is not like that. And I like... I would hunt with you again. I would do another elk hunt with you because to me, you had what mattered. Like, okay, 
maybe there was some like physical components that could have been improved. It was also your first hardcore hunt like that. And it's not for me. And I also worked as a forestry engineer for 15 years in British Columbia. So I've literally spent like, if there's some 10,000 hour walking in the mountains, black belt, I have it. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a little bit of an unfair comparison, but I mean, you had heart, man. And Appreciate that. Thank you. You had, you, you maintained a level of self-awareness. The only time it ever slipped was when you got that little bit panicky when we couldn't find each other. And that's acceptable. Like in that situation, I don't blame you for that. Um, that's pretty prime when primal kind of panic starts to sink in. There's not a lot we can do about that, but the things that mattered were there. The other stuff can be trained and prepared for and learned, but those underlying characteristics in a lot of ways, you either got those or you don't, and you had them. So, um, yeah, I don't regret going. I, I, I learned a lot and I would totally do. Um, I don't know if I want to do it again in BC cause I fucking hate bow hunting elk in British Columbia for a variety of reasons that I don't need to get into yeah. at the moment, but no, but uh, you know what, like that, that entire in my playing on my mind, the entire year has been okay this coming back to us. Okay. It immediately was, how do I improve? How do I get better? What do I refine? What do I finesse? What do I fine tune? The entire year has been that. Yeah. Right. It's been, and it's been such a good exercise in growth. And I think I texted that to you. I said, you know, before we go again, I need to do some serious leveling up mentally and physically. And I'm all about that because if I'm not, I want to meet the best version of Dylan. Yeah. But I, I know that I'm not playing at my very best and I'm okay with that as long as I'm making progress towards sure. that version of Dylan and nothing so raw could have ever been handed to me as that trip. Yeah. Right. Because I remember getting in the truck afterwards and being a complete mess. Yeah. Just like disappointed. I'm a failure. I let, I, I let my hunting buddy down. I couldn't go the, 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 I couldn't go the distance. Like all these things have just, and again, it's like, this is reality, dude. You're just an emotional mess right now because of whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, you can, once you get, when, when you get perspective, you can start to go, well, okay, let's control the things that we can and let's level up in those areas. Right. And yeah. so that's, it's been fun this entire year. And Again, I have to say that being out in the woods and chasing critters and failing over and over again with that trip in mind has been so good for I can do anything. I can go so much farther because you have this kind of belief in yourself. Look, you have no idea what I just went through and I'm still here. So let's go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. We're running out of time, but I want to hear, let's wrap up. What's the rest of your year look like? What's, what's Dylan's calendar? Yeah, so September, actually end of August, I'll be in this this particular spot, uh, chasing elk. Um, I'm going to be in region eight okay. and I'm going to give it. I'm Is that like the ch- elevation limited bow season area? No. Okay. That's uh, it's a little bit further over. Okay. This particular area, I, the only reason why I know about that that a herd of elk that live in this area, a couple of herds that live in this area, is because I almost bought a property in this area. Okay. And the guy, the real realtor, said, "Hey, do you hunt?" I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "Check out these pictures." And I'm like, "Oh, thank you." Uh, so that's kind of how that that all started. Gotcha. And it's been yeah, four yeah. years in the making of, of figuring out. Uh, unfortunately, it's six point only. 
Okay. So what that means is I've got cameras up in this area. I know there's a, a decent sized bull there. I'm going to be there in July and August to check the cameras. And if he doesn't look like he's going to make six points, I'm not going. Okay. I'm not going to go there because, I mean, he, he's probably not the only six-point bull, but he's pretty darn big. And if he doesn't make six points and doesn't have a lot of confidence that I'm going to take 10 days away from my family to go and have an encounter with an animal that I can't kill. Sure. Um, but I have a backup spot with this other gentleman that I, that I was mentioning. Okay. So uh, I, if it doesn't look like I'll be heading further over, uh, kind of, it's going to be region four, but not all the way over to, to the, to the very end, the, the Alberta BC border, okay. but that'll be September, uh, beginning of September, end of September. I've got my LEH moose. So, That's um, awesome. I'm going to be heading. Yeah. Super jacked for that. Uh, going to be, I drew it in, I think it's 437 if I remember correctly, which is just off of Kim basket Lake, okay. uh, North of golden. Yep. And, um, and so we'll be there. Dates are still final finalizing end of September, beginning of October. And then the rest of October, I'm going to be hitting blacktail spots hard. So okay. I've got four different spots where I know there are critters, two of which are within an hour driving distance of my house. And the other two are actually some of the Gulf Islands. Okay. So for the cool. two Gulf Island trips will be, I'm just going to pick probably and i'm kind of leaning towards um uh not not hunting those areas during the rut i'm going to go either before or after because okay. the islands there's nowhere for the deer to go right they're they're stuck on those islands and they've got large populations and it's uh bow only so i'm I put myself in the best position to win there so if i have an okay. encounter should be good but that's basically what my season is for this year nothing obviously in the u.s i'm hoping that the following years to to come will be you know putting in for Idaho or some of the other states. I mean, I really enjoyed that, you know, your, your, uh, the, the Intel that you've been able to give me or share with me and the stuff that you put on your podcast about how to apply for states. Um, They're for, open for, now too. You can get your July 1st bonus points for Montana and Wyoming open up. So you can buy for 50 bucks a piece. You can buy your, I'm going to be uh, for Montana. I haven't put in for Wyoming okay. yet. I think we were going to chat about that last year and I never got around to figuring out Wyoming or I, I might've missed it. I think uh, you last missed year. it. I think I, I missed it last year. Because Wyoming stops September 30th and Wyoming stop, sorry, Montana stops October 30th and Wyoming stops September 30th. And right. I think you went after September 30th and we're only able to get the one state. Right. Right. So yeah, I, 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 unfortunately I, uh, <laughs> I, I, so I didn't, I didn't get my act together last year, but for this upcoming year, uh, it's, I'm definitely looking at it. So awesome. Yeah. What about you? So five weeks as of today for sheep. Yep. So we leave on August the 6th. We're doing a fly in me and two buddies, 12 days, pretty hardcore type of deal. Pretty excited for that. And then I was really thinking I was going to pull a draw this year, man. I went for pretty reasonable stuff, like some goat tags that were like two to three to four to one, some oh, moose man. archery tags that were like three to four to one, like really pretty reasonable stuff. And I thought for sure um, I would have pulled something and I just got nothing. So I actually don't have, I don't have a clue what I'm going to do with my fall. I'm, I'm still kind of batting around a couple different 
ideas. I'm thinking maybe do something late October because with the sheep hunt kind of being the middle two weeks of August, running out the door to hunt elk like four weeks right later away. is yeah. a bit tough um, on the wife. So giving leaving a couple month break there. In the same breath, some dude from Alberta did invite me to go hunt elk um, where there should be some pretty good bow hunting. So I don't know, man, leave, leave it open. Some interesting opportunities are kind of coming up with people touching base and stuff like that. So maybe I'll even do a couple shorter four or five day things instead of one just big two week thing. And right. then I think as long as all the borders open up and everything, we're going to try and go to Hawaii for Christmas. And so I'm going to try and do a couple days yeah. bow hunting. I don't know what, if we go to the mainland, they got mouflon rams. That would be pretty cool. Um, I like the hunting on Maui, but there's not as much for my kid to do. And my wife yeah. kind of wants to go to that Disneyland resort on the big Island. So, so that would be cool. Um, and then that'll be it for this year. So hope maybe two more hunts after sheep. We'll see how it goes. Cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Thanks a lot for doing this. I think what we'll need to do is kind of late fall, early winter, do a round two and kind of do a catch up with, uh, how each of our seasons went. Yeah, sure. I'd love that. That'd be, that'd be sweet. All right, man. Be well. Thanks again. You too. Take care. Cheers.